Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our scripture this morning and our sermon text comes from the Gospel of Mark. It's the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 13. Again, this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. They taught us in seminary to wait till you hear the pages stop turning, then you can then you start. <laughs> He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went among, out, about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today is certainly a day of firsts, isn't it, for me, for you, for our family? It's the first time that many of you have heard me preach. I think the first time any of you have heard me preach in person. Some of you have seen online some of the stuff I've done in the past. This is the first time I've had a Sunday serving one church, so this is certainly a welcome change. It's the first time you and I will take communion as a family. It's actually not, though, the first time that we as a family have worshipped here. We were on vacation, I think, 2014 or so, and we came here for worship. And what's interesting is that that Sunday was the preacher's first Sunday here at Mount Olivet. And I think there must have been VBS going on later that week because there were flamingos and all kinds of other things up here. And so I think it's interesting that now we've come back, and it's also my 
first Sunday preaching here at this church. Of course, absent the flamingos and, and that kind of thing. But firsts happen all the time. Good or bad, the first time we hear something or see something or do something, we tend to remember it, don't we? First time you flew on an airplane, first time you went to a concert, <clears throat> first time you drove a car, first time you went on a date, the first time that you met that person that was going to become your spouse. It was interesting talking with uh, Chip Phillips on move-in night about how he met Jennifer and I met my wife Heidi through the common connection that is Carolina. Of course, I'd like to tell you that we met our spouses in the library, but sometimes there's more to college than academics, you know what I mean? <laughs> Today, though, I want to focus on a different kind of first. I want to pose a question to you, and then we'll come back to it in a little bit. But let me ask you this. When was the first time that you realized just who Jesus is. I don't mean the first time that you heard about Jesus. I don't mean the first time that you read about Jesus. I don't mean the first time that you sang about Jesus. I mean the first time deep in your heart that you knew who Jesus is. Because in our gospel reading this morning, it seems like the folks in Jesus' hometown, the ones that should have known him the best, had no idea who Jesus is. If you go back a couple of chapters in the Gospel of Mark, there's a story where Jesus is asleep on a boat, and there's this big nasty storm, and the disciples get worried, and they wake Jesus up from his nap, and Jesus calms the storm with just a few words. You remember the story? And the disciples ask each other, Who then is this? Who then is this? And then if you go into chapter 5, it seems that by his words and deeds, Jesus answers that question. Because in chapter 5, you see him casting out demons. In chapter 5, you see a, a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years be healed simply by touching the hem of Jesus' robe. You see a little girl who, had been, who, who, was, who was dead be raised by Christ Jesus. And all of these instances answer very clearly for us that, that question, who then is this? And the answer is that Jesus is Lord. Lord over creation. Lord over illness. Lord over demons. Lord over death. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. And now Jesus and his disciples enter Nazareth, and Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he teaches. And at first, they seem to dig it a little bit anyway. But then they become skeptics. And I want you to pay close attention on how they identify Jesus. In verse 3 it says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? They use mere human categories. A carpenter, a son, a brother. There's not a single thing wrong with being any of those. But it stops short as to who Jesus is. Because they don't see him as Lord. They don't see him as king. They don't see him as Messiah. They don't see him as Savior. They had, they had to find Jesus as merely the son of Mary, so how could he be the son of God? 
They defined him as one who worked with wood, so how could he possibly be a worker of miracles? They defined him as one of their peers, so how could he possibly be over them as Lord? They were the exact opposite of the folks we read about in chapter 5. Those folks believed. Those folks had faith in who Jesus is, and those folks found healing and wholeness. But these folks in his hometown who merely saw Jesus as a carpenter, as a son, or as a brother, they're rejecting Jesus. And because they don't see him as Lord, they are also rejecting the power of God that is at work in him. That's why it says here that he could do no deeds of power there. That's why it says that he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, the lesson for us, friends, is not that God's power is somehow restricted by people's lack of faith. That's not what we're seeing here. What the lesson is here is that God's power will not be poured out where it is unwanted. God's power will not be poured out where it is unwanted. That's what we sometimes call resistible grace. Now, in our Wesleyan tradition, we're all about grace, aren't we? We talk about provenient grace. We talk about justifying grace. We talked about sanctifying grace. But we don't talk as much about resistible grace. But it is very much a Wesleyan concept. Now, let me take you all back to confirmation class just for a little bit. If you've never been through a Methodist confirmation class, this is roughly the Cliff Notes version of it. But grace involves both a gift and a response. Our identities as sons and daughters of God is God's gift to us. Living in the world as the redeemed sons and daughters of God is our gift to God. Justifying grace reconciles us to God, incorporates us into the body of Christ, and sets us on a journey towards wholeness. What do Wesley call it? Onward towards perfection. That's what God does for us. Sanctifying grace continuously forms us in the likeness of Christ and sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts, our actions, and our relationships. This is what God does in us. Everybody's got that, right? All right. Now this grace, this power of God, is present in all and irresistible in none. What does that mean? Although God's presence and power to create and forgive and reconcile and transform is always present, we can resist God's gracious presence and work in us and in the world. We have the freedom, through free will, to say no to the invitation to be reconciled and transformed. Wesley called this backsliding. Yet the good news for us is that God's grace remains steadfast, ever blessing us, ever sustaining us, ever beckoning us towards wholeness and salvation. What's happening in our story today is resistible grace. God's power and grace and mercy and hope and healing and love were present in Nazareth, in Jesus, right there in the flesh. And yet they resisted it because they refused to see who Jesus is. They shut themselves off from it. And yet if you keep reading, Jesus continued. He continued to lay hands on folk and teach and preach and equip the disciples to go out for the mission of bringing the kingdom to everybody. So what about you? Do you know who Jesus is? Is he to you Lord of all aspects of your life? Or do you see him as something else? 
something a little bit lesser than that? Do you, by your words, your deeds, your actions, your thoughts, display a life that resists God's grace or one that embraces it? Think about the unsettling truth that's kind of hidden here in our lesson. You can spend your entire life around Jesus and not really know him. You can spend your entire life around Jesus and not really know him. It's kind of scary, isn't it? These people in Nazareth spent 30 years, some of them every day, with God in human flesh, and they didn't know him. Friends, every day you and I react to Jesus in light of how we see Jesus. And while your reaction may not be wholesale rejection, while it may be more subtle than taking offense that we read about here, all of us can end up wrongly defining Jesus in reaction against his lordship. So often you and I make Jesus into something he is not by adjusting our image of what he is in order to suit our needs. And because we have things in our life that we do not want to change, ideas we do not want to revise, priorities we do not want challenged, control we do not want to give up, we redefine Jesus to make him fit with where we are. But when Jesus asserts his lordship, when he speaks to you with authority through his word, how do you see him? Do you see him clearly? Because I'll be honest, there have been times in my life when I failed to do this. When I fail to see or when I am unwilling to see Christ as Lord over a certain area of my life, then I'm making him into something that he is not. I'm wrongly defining him as a king with some authority and not with all authority. I'm making him into a part-time Lord and not an all-the-time Lord. But friends, if he is Lord, then he is Lord of all, of all things, in all places, and at all times. He is Lord over your thoughts. He is Lord over your plans. He is Lord over your marriage. He is Lord over your finances. He is Lord over your career. He is Lord over your free time. He is Lord over your words. He is Lord over your ambitions. He is Lord over your commitments. And friends, he is even Lord over your hurts over your past regrets, over your present struggles, over your future worries. If he is Lord, then he is Lord over everything, over your entire life. Unfortunately, though, this is the Jesus who offends so many because this is the Jesus that threatens our familiar, comfortable control even though our life is unraveling because of sin. But this is also the Jesus who fulfills, because this is the Jesus that transforms our chaos into peace, the Jesus that speaks life into our death. When I asked a few minutes ago, when was the first time you realized who Jesus was? And by that I mean Lord of your life. If your answer was, I don't remember, well, let's make today the day that we change that. If your answer was, I haven't really thought about it, let's make today the day that we change that. 
If your answer was, well, I'm not sure if he's Lord of my life or not, let's make today the day that we change that. If your answer was, I know that he's Lord, but sometimes I don't act like it, well, first, thank you for your honesty. But second, let's make today the day that we change that. And friend, if you are sitting there, any one of you, and you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm worthy to have Jesus as my Lord. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. This altar behind me and this bread and this cup says that you, me, all of us are all worthy of God's power, of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's love. We just have to accept it and know that Jesus is our Lord. Now, today is the day that we celebrate freedom, isn't it? I think we should do it every day. Not necessarily from an overseas monarchy, but freedom from the tyranny of sin and death. Not freedom won by 231,000 men. I looked it up. But freedom won by one man. Freedom not worn on the battlefields of Trenton or Cowpens or Yorktown, but a freedom, friends, won on a cross on a hill overlooking Jerusalem. Bless you. The freedom, friends, that allows us to say with confidence the oldest creed of our faith, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Do you know it? Do you believe it? Do you live it? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.